Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Community Christian Church. My name's Chris Ria. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the teaching pastor here, and we're in the third and final week of our series, How to Kill a Spider. And we've been going after spiders. We've been hunting, hunting them down. Figuratively, of course. We're not really trying to. I know it's springtime here, and spiders will be coming into our home soon, but what we're talking about is how we can identify spiders in our souls. And a lot of times as Christians, you know, we look at cobwebs and we, we look at what the spider produces in order, and we just focus all of our attention trying to clean up cobwebs instead of getting to the root of the problem and asking ourselves why the cobwebs are there in the first place. And this series is loosely based on a book by Carlos Whitaker called Kill the Spider. I would encourage you guys to read this book. I haven't really covered anything that he talks about other than this one analogy that I thought was so clever. And in his book, he says this. He says, a spider is in agreement with a lie you believe, and a cobweb is any medicator that brings false comfort to that lie. So as we go through life, uh, things happen. Trauma happens, pain happens, and we, in turn, uh, it, it harms our souls, and it creates distance in spiders, and so we have to go after these things and, and face them. For instance, I want to give you an example of what a spider could be in your life versus what a cobweb could be. So maybe you're not feeling quite as connected to your spouse, and you feel some distance there. And you begin to make an agreement over time with a lie that maybe she doesn't love me as much as she once did. Maybe I don't feel the way about her as I once did. And you just feel like there's this distance there, and this distance is creating a little bit of a pit in your stomach. But instead of facing that, instead of talking about it with your spouse and, and having a romantic date night to kind of talk about what's happening in your marriage or pursuing some kind of steps to take to get rid of that, you decide, you know, I'm just going to have all, all my friends over for a dinner party and we're just going to hang out. Well, at the dinner party, you know, you're having a glass of wine and, and that's okay, but then maybe one becomes two. And after the second glass... Maybe you notice that that pain, that pit in your stomach begins to fade away a little bit. And it strangely starts to fade away. But you want it completely gone. So you go to glass number three and then glass number four. And before you know it, your marriage woes seem so far away. But they're not. You see, they're still staring you right in the face. But that's when drinking becomes a cobweb, when it starts to cover up truth. And it doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be prescription drugs. It could be pornography. It could be a bowl of ice cream. It could be a, a dessert or a hobby that you run to to cover up truth and escape from something else 
so that you don't have to deal with it. And the goal of this series is to identify and to kill the spiders so that we can be free from the destructive behaviors or the cobwebs that these spiders create. And we are trying to become the person that God created us to be. You see, God created us to be free. He came to, so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. But it's impossible to go through this life and not experience trauma or pain. It's unavoidable. And when we experience trauma, when we experience pain, it takes a toll on us. It does some damage to our minds and to our souls. And what we want to do a lot of times is we want to just shove that pain down and not deal with it. We want to shove the trauma down. We don't want to face the pain or, or our fears or we think we're strong enough to handle these things. And so we never deal with it. And then this trauma, this pain creates lies that we begin to make an agreement with. For instance, if you're a young boy and your mom leaves when you're young, she leaves the family when you're a kid, you might begin to believe the lie that all women leave. And so when you have a future relationship down the road, you might not trust the person you're entering into a relationship with because in the back of your mind you're saying, she's going to leave someday. You see, painful trauma can produce lies. And these lies are what the enemy uses to keep us from becoming free in Christ. And these lies can cause us to feel empty inside. In fact, these lies and this pain and this trauma, what it can do is it can create a distance between us and our Heavenly Father. That's why I talk to a lot of people and they say, you know, I just feel distant from God. I don't know what it is, but I just feel this distance. I feel like there's this glass ceiling. I, I used to really, really enjoy spending time in God's Word. I used to enjoy walking in the doors of church and spending time in worship, but now I just don't sense God's presence and and." and I'm just critical of everything that's happening in church, and I don't know why, and I just don't feel connected to God anymore. Well, when that happens, it's because there's a block. There's a block that we have created, and that distance causes us to believe more lies. Maybe the, the lie that God's abandoned me, that he's not there for me, that he doesn't care, Maybe some of us even start to wonder if he's even there at all. If maybe this whole thing we've believed and put our faith in is even real because we just don't sense anything anymore. We're not passionate about God. Why? We have so many questions and so many lies that we begin to believe. And those lies produce fear. They produce anxiety. They produce depression, insecurities, and cobwebs, destructive behaviors in our lives. I kind of equate it to this. We live in Michigan, and hopefully it's going to start warming up here soon. But in the winter, it's cold. It's really cold, and people go to great lengths to not feel the cold, right? People put on long johns, pants, sweaters, jackets, scarves, gloves, hats. Why? So that when we walk outside, that cold will feel distant from the cold. It won't hit us as hard. 
But that doesn't mean the cold is not still there. The cold's there. We just put on layers to protect ourselves from the cold. Well, what happens, some of us in this room have so much pain, so much trauma, so much concealed sin in our lives uh, that we have this entire layer after layer that we've put in our soul, and it's creating this distance between us and God. And God hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. His presence is still there. It's still as strong as it ever was. He's still speaking. He's still pouring himself out. But we feel this block because of the layers. The good news is Jesus came to this earth to destroy those layers, to get rid of those layers. In fact, as soon as he died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two, creating no separation between us and God anymore. We can go boldly to the throne of grace, the Bible says. We can go right to our Heavenly Father because of Christ. So if you have these layers, if you feel this distance, I want to tell you this morning, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you feel distance, if you feel connected, something's wrong. There's a spider there that needs to be addressed. Because when we get to this place, we start blaming everybody else for why we feel the way we do. We make it about us. We start blaming and pointing our fingers. That person, if they were better to me, if my spouse was better, if my boss was better, if my coworker was better, if this happened, then I wouldn't be in the position I am. The truth is, there's something in your soul that's broken that you need to deal with. And it's okay. It's okay to admit that because we all have to face those times. But when you begin to deal with the pain, you began to believe that you are righteous in God's sight because of Christ. And the layers began to break off. You will experience a freedom in God that you haven't experienced in such a long time. And that's why it's so important to hunt down, identify, and kill spiders. You know, this one time I was doing laundry. My wife's kind of looking at me with a smile on her face. I said this one time I was doing laundry. You know, I didn't say I was always doing laundry. This, this one time I was doing laundry. And I'm sitting there in front of the washing machine. And all of a sudden I felt like a tickle on my forehead. And then I went to like scratch it. And all of a sudden a spider was there. And it started crawling all over my hand. And you know, you freak out at that point. But then I remember I looked up. And I kid you not, there were probably 30 to 50 baby spiders on my ceiling, just sitting there, crawling there. I went into full-out panic Terminator mode. I mean, I, I, got, I just went nuts in there, and I killed all these spiders. But I still wasn't, wasn't happy about that, and I felt like, well, I need to make sure they're gone. So I brought an exterminator out to spray the house. And he comes out, and he, he was telling me about his process. He says, I'm going to spray the baseboards of your house and around the outside. And he says, what's great about this spray is the spider, when it comes in contact with the spray, it doesn't kill it right away. It brings it back to the nest, and then it kills all of the spiders that are there. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. And that's what I'm hoping this series does. 
I'm hoping that not only do we kill one or two of the spiders, but we take the information, the things that we're learning, we put it into practice in our life, and it kills the spiders in our entire environment. That there's no spiders around anymore. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to rid our environment, our souls, of spiders. So there's two things I want to talk about this morning. One is maybe the environment that you grew up that shaped you, that produced some spiders in your life? And then how do we create an environment where spiders don't come back or they can't exist? So throughout this series, I've put up a diagram to show you and kind of illustrate how spiders are kind of birthed. Basically, you have these five things, identity, beliefs, mindsets, environments, and behaviors. All too often, we just focus over here on the behaviors because that's the thing that we can all see. And so we see someone behaving a certain way. We behave a certain way. Our spouse does. Our kids do. We, we really just want to go after the behavior and fix it. The problem is that doesn't fix everything. That's just going after the symptom and not getting to the root. In order to get to the root, we have to start here with our identity. We talked about that in the very first week and how it's so important to understand what happened when Jesus died on that cross and rose again. In that moment, when we put our faith in him, he fully forgave us from our past and our present, and he set us free from guilt, shame, sin. He fully redeemed us. He put his righteousness on us, and God chooses to see us as righteous sons and daughters of the living God. We have to start there, that he's for us, that he's behind us, that he's with us, and he's got good things in store for us. If we're not there, that, we can't build a solid foundation. After that, we talked about beliefs and mindsets, and I said something along the lines that belief always precedes behavior, and it's true. What you believe will determine how you live, and it's so important to change our mindsets. You can go through the same two people can go through the same circumstance, but the one that has a healthier mindset full of truth will, will find peace, and the one that doesn't will find fear, anxiety, worry, depression. And so our mindsets are so important and our beliefs are so important. That's the second step. And today I want to talk about our environments. I want to talk about that. See, environments shape our behavior. The environments you grew up in, the environments you work in, the environments you go to school in, and they can shape your behavior in a positive or negative way. You know, we mimic what we see. And have you ever heard the phrase, more is caught than taught? And that's just the truth. And so our environments do uh, determine our behavior. And I'll never forget when my environment changed significantly for the first time in my life. I went away to college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And up until that point in my life, I had the same environment. It was very structured. I got up around the same time, Monday through Friday. I had breakfast. I went to school. I had lunch in the cafeteria at the same time. I came home. And my mom had a, a snack for me. And then we had dinner at 5 or 5.30. I did homework. My parents made sure I did my homework. I went to bed. They made sure I went to bed at a certain time. And that was kind of how it went. There was a lot of structure in the home. There were rules, there were guidelines that you followed if you lived in this house. Well, when I went away to college, that was all gone. 
I lived on a dorm with 30 guys on this dorm. We were all 18, 19, or 20 years old. Talk about a different type of environment. I mean, there was no one there telling me what to do, what time to get up, what time to go to bed, to make sure I did my homework, to wash my sheets. I'm ashamed to admit my freshman year, I didn't wash them one time. I know that's gross. I'm sorry, Mom. No one there telling me to do my laundry. When, it, when I ran out of stuff, I did a load. You know, that's, that, that's how it went. And I did it as, lo, as little as I possibly could get away with. There was no one there making sure that I had fruit or veggies in my life. I think my freshman year, I had a diet of lunch. Every day was nachos and cheese and ice cream. That was my lunch every day my freshman year. I stayed up late. I mean, I knew that I should go to bed at 7 a.m. because I, or I go to bed at, not at 7 a.m. I knew I had a 7 a.m. class in the morning, so I should go to bed early. But then I'd be out, hanging out in the hall, and some of the guys would come by and say, hey, we're going to Ramsorn to get a shake and some fries. You want to go? Yeah, I do. I'd go, be out till one in the morning, be tired in class the next day. And that environment began to shape me. I mean, there was times where I would start playing video games when the sun was down, and the next thing I knew, the sun was coming up. And and this environment kind of set you up for it. And there was this one time where uh, we had this beautiful spring day, and I was on the third story of our dorm floor. and, And I looked outside and this couple was having a picnic, and they were, they were doing a double date. And they're having this picnic, and they've got their food, and they've got, you know, all of their homework, and they're studying, and they're talking. They're having just a nice afternoon. And so I think I yelled something down from my window, like, hey, that's so sweet. You guys are so cute, something like that. And the guys didn't like that very much. They thought I was mocking them. So they threw a rock up at my window. They didn't realize who they were messing with. They didn't realize I had leverage. So my roommate, Jason, and I, who's a pastor now as well, um, we got this garbage bag, 30-gallon garbage bag, and we filled it with water. And we tied it as tight as we possibly could. I mean, it was going to be a water bomb. And so he said... Let me go get in position so I can see this. I said, okay. I got by the window and I went, one, two, three. And I launch this water bomb out the window. And it's like it had radar. It was, it was going right for them. And it hit in the middle of their picnic. And it exploded 30 gallons of water all over them. They were drenched, their papers were ruined, their books were wet, their food was wet. It was gross. And some of you just changed your opinion of me right there when I told that story. But I got to be honest, it was awesome. These guys were not happy. Um, They told the dean, and the dean pulled Jason and I into his office and he ridiculed us a little bit, and uh, he said, I'm going to charge you guys 50 bucks a piece for that. I'm going to fine you. 
I'm like, where do I write the check? That was the best 50 bucks I've ever spent in my life to this day. Here, here you go. Um, I mean, I've, I've been so blessed in my life. I've had some incredible moments, in all honesty. I've had some incredible moments, you know. Uh, giving my life to Christ and experiencing Him do ministry and kind of maturing me uh, along the way. Um, my wedding day, meeting the love of my life and marrying her. My parents and grandparents always being there for me. Good friend of mine taking me to play golf at Pebble Beach in St. Andrews. Put number fifth on the list is throwing this garbage <laughs> water bomb out the window. I just got to be honest. It's right up there with everything else. Just just amazing. But anyway, our environments, they shape us in more ways than you could ever imagine. And you can be raised and set up for success, or maybe it sets you back a little bit. And you can't control the environment you were raised in. You really can't. And it's not your fault. You know, it's, it's not what God wanted for you if, if you had a hard upbringing. But I want to tell you something, that we are responsible to overcome our environments. We are responsible. At some point, we have to take responsibility. We have to overcome. We have to say, you know what? Yes, I've gotten some wounds. I've got some hurt. I've got some pain in my life that was caused by other people. And I understand that I've probably created pain and wounds that have hurt other people as well. But we've got to stop blaming people at some point for all of our issues and take ownership and responsibility, hunt down those spiders and kill them so that God can set us free. I want to show you a little video clip. This is a video clip by Will Smith, the actor. It kind of illustrates a little bit what I'm saying. Let's roll this clip. I was just uh, having a debate with a friend of mine and we got stuck on the difference between fault and responsibility. She kept talking about how something was somebody's fault, it's somebody's fault. And I was like, it really, it don't matter whose fault it is that something is broken if it's your responsibility to fix it. For example, it's, it's not somebody's fault if their father was an abusive alcoholic, but it's their responsibility to figure out how they're gonna deal with those traumas and try to make a life out of it. It's not your fault if your partner cheated and ruined your marriage, but it is your responsibility to figure out how to take that pain and how to overcome that and build a happy life for yourself. Fault and responsibility do not go together. It sucks, but they don't. When something is somebody's fault, we want them to suffer. We want them punished. We want them to, to pay. And we want it to be their responsibility to fix it. But that's, that's not how it works, especially when it's your heart. Your heart, your life, your happiness is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. As long as we're pointing the finger and, and, and stuck in whose fault something is, we're jammed and trapped into victim mode. When you're in victim mode, you are stuck in suffering. The road to power is in taking responsibility. Your heart, your life, your happiness is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. So that could sound a little harsh, you know, especially if you've been hurt. 
especially if someone you loved or someone you trusted or someone you cared about has hurt you deeply. And if that's happened to you in your environment, in an environment that was supposed to feel safe and it's not safe, I want to let you know that I'm so sorry. I really am. Uh, I'm sorry that you're hurt. I'm sorry that you've dealt with that kind of pain. And I want you to know that wasn't God. You know, that wasn't him. That's not what he wanted. He didn't want that pain for your life. He wanted you to have an amazing environment that sets you up for success. That's the kind of father he is. He's good all the time. So I'm sorry if something has happened to you, but I want you to know something. With God's help, you can be whole. You can be free. You can have hope for a bright future. You can forgive. You can. It's possible. And if we're not careful, we take on this victim mentality. We blame everyone and everything including God, for our problems, and we stay miserable and depressed. And I want to let, us, let, let you know, you're not a victim. You are a son or, and a daughter of the living God. We are not victims. We have power. We have God on our side. And it's time to take responsibility. So my main point this morning is this. You are responsibility. You are responsible to create a new environment. You are responsible to create a new environment. I just want to say this before I get into this point, is if you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because this one isn't going to really be able to be done until that one's dealt with. Last week we talked about cleaning out your soul and how to face the pain, the lies, and the fears and actually clean out your soul and have God help you kill spiders. That's got to happen first in order for this next environment to be possible. So how do we do that? How do we create a new environment? Well, I want to turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 1 because I believe that it gives us the answer. I love the Psalms. You know... Throughout this series, I've been using a lot of psalms to illustrate the points that I'm making. And the reason being is David was a man who experienced great pain, great struggle, great turmoil, turmoil in his life. He had highs and he had lows. He was depressed. He was anxious. There was, he had sleepless nights and, and so much trauma in his life. But he also was the best at, at giving it to God and working through it with the Lord. And I just want, I just love the Psalms and I want to show you some truth in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. So I want to look and unpack this a little bit this morning. There's a few things we have to understand when we're reading this portion of Scripture. 
the first thing we have to understand is that this was written still under the old covenant of law. And so when the author says, who meditates on the law day and night, what is he referring to? Well, in this passage of Scripture, uh, the author is referring to the book of the law, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God's kind of code or covenant with his own chosen people. So if you follow that, if, if we meditate on that and on God's heart and on his ways, we kind of separate ourselves from the, the world around us who's not living according to those ways, then that's, that's the first step in kind of this prosperous life. Now, if you look at that under the lens of the new covenant, Jesus comes to the earth, he dies on the cross, he sets us free. The apostle Paul says there's no favoritism anymore. There's no God's chosen people. There's no female, male, Greek, or Jewish person. There, we're all under Christ now and under the, under the gospel grace. So if we look at this, what we can say is it still applies to us. But we can say those of us who meditate on God's word, who meditate on his ways, we have the whole Bible now, who understand their identity in Christ, who have good belief systems and have good mind patterns, those of us who understand the word of God and how it applies to our heart, those of us who walk in the spirit, those of us who walk in the spirit and who are a light to the people around us. It's not telling us to separate from anyone who's not a Christian here. It's telling us to watch out and not surround ourselves and do life with people who are going to bring us down, but walk in God's ways, meditate on his ways, meditate on his word, walk by the spirit. And when you do that, the Bible goes on to say, you'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. This is an interesting picture of a tree planted by a stream of water. That's the illustration here. Tree planted by a stream of water. What is it speaking to? It's speaking to that tree's environment, right? Not every tree is planted by a stream of water. But the ones that are, they don't have to wait for the rain. They don't have to worry about where their water is going to come from because the stream is right there and it's always flowing. So that tree is planted in a position, in an environment for water to continuously feed its roots so that it can have leaves and bear fruit all the time because that water is its constant source. I happen to live on a lake right now and there is a tree planted by the stream of water and I look at this tree every single day. It still has leaves on it in the middle of the winter. Now that might just be the tree and I'm ignorant to that. But for, this, the, for, for the example that I'm given here, it's pretty cool to look outside and see this tree planted by the stream and just see it constantly have leaves on it and constantly grow. It doesn't have to strive to grow. It doesn't have to work. It doesn't have to do all these things in order to be prosperous. No, it simply just resides in the water. What if the key to whatever we're doing, whatever us in our lives, us prospering, 
It's not, much, it's not as much about what we do, but it's about who we are. What if God was our constant source and we were that tree and we spent time meditating on his word and in his ways, in his spirit, in worship, in prayer, in his word? I think if we became that tree, whatever we, would, whatever we did would prosper. We wouldn't have to work as hard. We could create a new environment where God becomes our constant source, where we're not always trying to do it ourselves, but where we actually believe God is good and we actually trust him and we actually seek him and we believe he will be our source. Then we wouldn't have to work. You see, God revealed to me a powerful truth while reading this passage that it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And who you are will always set up what you do. But we do that opposite. We want to go, we want to strive, we want to grind, and we want to work, we want to get out there, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But then we want to say, okay, God, I've done all of this, now you bless it. But God's simply saying, look, I sent my son to you so I could have relationship with you. Don't be so caught up in doing all of these good things that you're not spending time with me. I, I, didn't, I didn't send Jesus to this earth so that you could do all these things. You couldn't do all these things. I sent him to the earth so I could have relationship with you. So we could sit there and we could talk and we can share our hearts together and our lives together. That's what God desires. Relationship. And if you're that tree, if God is your source, whatever you do will prosper. But the problem is it's hard to create that environment because we have the spiders blocking us, causing us to feel distant from God. But Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He then goes on to say, Paul says, so I say walk in the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are they saying? They're both speaking to the same truth that, that if you remain in Christ, if you sit by that, if you become that tree by the stream of water, whatever you do will prosper. It's not just that you won't make wrong decisions. It's that you'll make good decisions that bring fulfillment and purpose to your life. You see, we all long to have purpose. We all want to believe that we are living fulfilled, meaningful lives, that we are doing significant things for the kingdom of God, that we're doing significant things on this earth. We all long to be fulfilled. And that's why creating an environment where God is our source is so important because when we are, he can do some amazing things through us. You see, purpose isn't as much about what you do as it is about who you are. We spend so much time trying to figure out what to do instead of trying to focus out who we are, how God wired us, 
what he created us to do, that he's our source. And it's about who we are. When you realize who you are, it will set up what you do. And uh, when I read the Bible, when I read about David, I love reading about David. I love reading about his life. And I find it so interesting. I was reviewing the story of David and Goliath while I was preparing for this. And you realize that David was not even supposed to be on the battlefield with Goliath. David wasn't in the army. He wasn't serving at that time. His brothers were. And his dad told him, hey, go bring, go bring some food to the front line and give it to your brothers. I want to take care of them. So David goes to the front line, and while he's there bringing food to his brothers, he realizes something. He realizes that there's this giant taunting the people of God. And what does David do? I love his passion. This isn't okay. You know, David, most people think he was about 17 years old at this point in his life. And he said, this isn't okay. So he goes to the king. He goes to King Saul. And he says, I can take on this guy. I can defeat him. And King Saul's kind of laughing at him a little bit, saying, David, you're a young man. You're a teenager. This guy is a trained warrior. He's been fighting since he was your age, and he's a man. And David says something so interesting right here. I, I just love it. He says, you know what, King Saul? One time, I was protecting my father's sheep, and a bear came, and he took one of the sheep, and I struck the bear, and the bear turned on me, and then I struck the bear down. Another time, a lion came for one of the sheep, and I struck the lion. And the lion turned and tried to kill me, and I struck the lion down. First of all, I want to know what kind of teenager is in the harm's way fighting lions and bears? <laughs> How many of you would let your teenage kid fight a lion or a bear? This kid was probably 13, 14, 15, taking on bears and lions. Imagine that conversation between mom and dad. <laughs> He'll be fine out there, honey. Anyway. But something that's so important about this story is, is David says to King Saul, he says, just as the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from this giant. You see, it wasn't about what he did. It wasn't that he had experience fighting bears and lions. That's not what he said. It was about who he was. He knew who he was. He knew who was with him. He said, it was the Lord who delivered me from the hand of the bear and the lion, and the Lord will deliver me. He had faith. He had trust. Why? Because he was that tree planted by the water. And he knew whatever he did would prosper. And he said, I'm not afraid of this guy because it's not me. It's the Lord. And he defeated that giant. He threw a water bomb on his head. <laughs> See, purpose isn't as much about what you do as who you are. We've got to remember that. We can create an environment 
where we're planted by the water, where God is our source. And when we get bold enough to face the pain, when we get bold enough to face the trauma, when we get bold enough to forgive the people in our lives who have hurt us in our other environments, when we get bold enough, because it's hard, but when we get bold enough to do that, we can be free and we can create an environment where whatever we do will prosper because the Lord is with us and it's not about us. Some of you, I know, you've gone through some hard things in this life. And I know some of you have come up to me during this series and you've talked to me and you said, you know, the healing process has started. Spiders are starting to die. Cobwebs are starting to go away. And that's great. I want you to know this is a process. I would love to say at the end of the message today, all of us are going to kill every spider in our life and never have to deal with a cobweb. It's just not true. But I'm hoping that we can really start to face it, to get some help facing our own souls, going to those deep places that we've ignored for so long and giving those to God and asking him to help us kill the spider. I want to close this series with a verse in Psalm 40. Once again, another psalm written by David. And I want to speak this kind of prophetically over some people in this room this morning. David says this, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. I love it. I waited patiently. It's hard to do. It's hard to be patient when you're asking God to deliver you from something. It's hard to wait. It's hard to be in the valley. It's hard to be going through the pain. But he says, I waited patiently. You see, your healing might not come instantaneously. Your soul might be in pain for a while. But if you wait patiently, the Lord will hear your cry. And the Bible says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see the fear of the Lord and put their trust in Him. Some of you are going through it, and I believe the Lord wants to take you out of that pit that you're in. And he wants to say, you know what? You've been striving, you've been scheming, you've been trying in your own strength, going through this pain, going through this trauma, but I'm here. I don't want there to be a distance between us anymore. I don't want you to keep me at a distance. I want to be the thing that breaks those layers down. I want to lift you out of that pit and put you on solid ground. I want, to, I want to be there for you. I'm still good. I'm still here. And you can trust me. You can trust me again. It's okay if you've had your doubts. It's okay if you've had your fears. But I'm here. I'm real. 
and I'm with you. And if you let me, I will kill those spiders. I'll bring healing to your soul. You and I will feel close again. I will set your feet on the rock. You can trust me. I'll walk with you and whatever you do will prosper. Thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. I want everyone to stand with me this morning. We're going to close this series with a song. This is my favorite song right now. I shared my story last week. This is the song that got me through my trial, my pain. And I'm hoping we can sing this song together as an anthem this morning. Let's sing it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media or searching CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.